Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. Today's Beef Watch podcast is the final in a series of four podcasts from the 2020 Silage for Beef Cattle Conference, the Silage webinar series that was held online in July and August. This webinar series was sponsored by Nebraska Extension, Lollum and Animal Nutrition, and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. Today's topic comes from Dr. Galen Erickson's presentation titled Silage Feeding and Management for Beef Cattle in the Current Environment. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Erickson. Yeah, happy to do it. Dr. Erickson, I thought there was a lot of good content in the webinar that you presented and you really focused on a number of things and actually started out your presentation talking about what are the advantages and disadvantages of corn silage. Flush out for our listeners a little bit about some of the advantages from your perspective and also the disadvantages as we think about utilizing corn silage for beef cattle. Yeah, I think, you know, we've been pretty focused on silage the last 10 years here at Nebraska, but it's an age-old ingredient, right? Many people say, well, what's the new things about silage? There are some new things that we'll get to, I think, but uh, it's a pretty good feed, and we revisited it, though, for numerous reasons. One, you're guaranteed supply, and if anybody's experienced supply disruptions, uh, as soon as you experience one, you'll realize how important guaranteed supply is because you put it up, you know, one time a year. Downside is you put it up one time a year and you've got a lot of uh, finances into that pile. Um, it's price competitive. If it wasn't price competitive, we, uh, we obviously wouldn't be quite as excited about it. So I'm going to go through some of that because that to me is the real crux of when you get down to it, what's the price per unit TDN? It's considerably cheaper than haze and other roughages that are out there today. Uh, we think it's economical, even priced relative to corn, by the way, in many situations. And so I think it, the downside is if you've never put up silage, it takes some management and obviously uh, attention to detail at harvest time. It's always best if you have a concrete bunker or a concrete pad to put it on just because of shrink and management from that standpoint. Not everybody has that capability and you can do it other ways, but that's, that's ideal. And then, you know, you're handling a lot of moisture, which for some people that can be a challenge. And then I would argue that in some situations, the feed might be too good. For example, uh, generally speaking, the energy content will be uh, higher than what cows would need if you just want to feed silage alone. So there are some issues with maybe why you wouldn't put up silage, and that's just fine. But if you check off all those boxes on why why I can handle all those those why nots, then uh, we think it's a pretty smart move to evaluate and, and make sure you price correctly and manage shrink. Let's talk a little about pricing corn silage in the field. And I think this is one that's really challenging for people to try to get their heads around. We've got this crop standing in the field. We have the option of maybe buying it standing in the field and chopping it for silage. If I'm the farmer, I'm comparing that to, well, what's the value of this crop if I took it all the way to grain? You've done quite a bit of research in this area. and I think really come up with a nice process for people to work through in terms of arriving at a value that I think really accurately represents how we might want to price corn standing in the field for corn silage. Walk through with us some of those details and help us understand the process you've went through to arrive at that number. Well, you know, first off, we have started uh, with the Iowa State silage pricing calculator. Wisconsin's got a silage calcula pricing calculator out there. And we started with those as our base. And ultimately that can get you to pricing it as, as silage standing in the field. 
A couple of key considerations, though, that, that we accounted for that even those programs haven't and that we've learned over time. So I'm going to try and, you know, take us through that process. First off, at the time of harvest, it is about 50 to 52 percent grain, 48 to 50 percent forage. And some people say, well, no, I know my grain content's higher than that at harvest. That's true. At dry corn harvest, it's about 60 to 62% grain, but that's because you gained some grain and you frankly lose some of the forage during that uh, black layered and, and drying down process. So uh, first and foremost, at, at normal silage harvest and under normal growing conditions, uh, at 35 to 38% dry matter, 62 to 65% moisture, it is 50 to 52% corn. So if you measure the tonnage of silage that you take off the field, you can estimate the grain yield in tons per acre as well. That's a critically important number. Now, when you go to price it though, if I'm buying it from you as the corn producer, there is a yield drag. And so actually at the time of corn silage harvest, if it's a week or two ahead of black layer, which is pretty normal, then there's the Wisconsin data, which is some of the best in the world on, on measuring that, suggests there's a 6% yield drag. And we've collected similar data, and it turns out to be true. So to me, if, I, if, if Aaron was, if you were going to raise corn, but now you're going to sell it to me as silage, I can tell you how much corn grain is in that silage when I harvested it by estimating the grain content but I got to add a 6% onto that to buy the corn from you because you would have had 6% more corn. That all sounds pretty simple, but and it, and it is, just take some math. The other way to estimate grain content, if you don't want to measure tonnage, you can analyze, I mean, measure it the way I suggested. You can measure percent starch, um, and that'll give you an indication of, of grain yield if you send in your silage, get a percent starch, and then divide it by 0.7. But that really is, is a proxy and, and better if you are measuring at 35 to 38% dry matter silage that it's 50 to 52%. Now what people have missed is that now you don't have to combine the corn. You don't have to haul it to market if I cut it as silage. So we take off the cost of combining and hauling it to market, which by the way turns out to be about 50 cents per bushel. If you have to dry corn down at harvest time to store it, that's another cost. But you do all that math and it works out to be about 7.65 times corn price to estimate, you know, what's the price on a, on a ton of silage basis standing in the field. And it works uh, really well and actually doesn't vary much due to corn price. Now, there's really two things that we've missed on top of that uh, when we price silage. One is that you have to pay for nutrients that you remove in the forage. So in other words, the corn producer will have to replenish, particularly the phosphorus and potassium supply that I take off in the forage of silage. My small criticism of this is though, everybody wants the cattle producer to pay fertilizer price for phosphorus and potassium when they take it off the field as forage and the silage, but I've got quite a bit of phosphorus and potassium in my manure that then no one wants to pay fertilizer price for when I replenish that supply in the field. So that's something that I think we've missed. The last thing I would mention that's really critical, and I think this applies to any feeds that are uh, harvested in the fall and stored by the cattle producer, not the, not the corn producer, 
And that is, is corn price increases from harvest to harvest each year. And what I mean by that is, is that the, the year in and year out, the cheapest price on corn grain is at harvest time. So let's say that this year that's $3 a bushel, then at harvest time, I should be paying $3 per bushel to stay in the field. But then you say, well, the price goes up through the rest of the year. That's true. The price does go up the rest of the year, but it's because somebody had to store the dry corn in a bin. And by the way, that equates to about five cents per bushel per month. So in other words, the corn silage is a good deal for a couple reasons. One is that you should theoretically be paying fall harvest corn price because we're going to add storage cost on top of the silage after it's put in the bunker. Well, if I use 330 corn, which would be the average price for this harvest year, for example, because it goes up five cents per bushel per month. Well, now I paid corn price storage and I paid price of storing the silage. So to me, it's a double accounting of storage costs. So if you do the math and you're comparing silage that's priced correctly, we think it's economical, especially by the way, when corn price goes up throughout the rest of the year being stored as five cents per bushel per month. Dr. Erickson, let's talk a little about some of the research you've done looking at when we harvest corn silage in terms of percent moisture, level of maturity on that corn. Give some perspective there in terms of what are some things people should think through in terms of when they harvest corn silage. Yeah, you know, the challenge, everybody gets a little anxious in the fall to harvest, which I fully appreciate. And then you may have to be uh, relying on custom harvesting to, to get your silage harvest. And so then you're at the mercy of when, of course, they're there and, and ready to go for you. But if you can control it, we would suggest harvesting at, at uh, 38% dry matter or 62% moisture. And many people, you know, when they think of silage, they think, well, it's 35% dry matter or 65% water, you know, whatever, whichever way you want to express it. But actually, um, don't get anxious and, and actually waiting until it's 38% dry matter, we think is ideal. If it's much wetter, you have decreased tonnage of silage, first off, that you harvest, and obviously the grain content's lower. If it gets too dry, obviously you can have storage concerns and making sure that it doesn't shrink when you put it into a bunker or pack it in. We've tested that a little bit where we tested 38% or 37% dry matter and 43% dry matter silage. And you know it fed okay to feedlot cattle. It, it, when fed to growing cattle, the cattle did a little better if the silage was 38% dry matter. And that was stored under ideal conditions in, in ag bags. So in a bunker storage, storage would be more challenging with the dryer. So we think that there's kind of one target in mind, and that's 38% dry matter, 62% moisture. And I would also just point out and remind everybody that uh, measuring the green chop at the time of harvest is really important because the silage will naturally get a little wetter. Uh, during the fermentation process. So if I put up silage at 38% dry matter, our personal experience is that'll get about one percentage unit wetter. So instead of being 62% moisture when it comes out of the bunker, it'll actually normally run 63. So it's always best to kind of measure both going in and coming out of those bunkers, but a good number to, to target is 62% moisture. Dr. Erickson, you've done some research looking at how some different corn varieties compare in terms of the quality of silage that you end up within in the bunker. And also you've looked a little bit at some technologies such as kernel processing and 
what value that may add to corn silage. Share with us some of the research you've done there and, and the results of that. Yeah, you know, I think to start with, Aaron, we, we started looking at should we, and from finishing cattle perspective, you know, everybody kind of fed silage as a rough feed source at 10 to 15% of the diet on a dry basis. And uh, we started looking at the economics and, and how economical we thought it was. And so we started looking at tripling that. So instead of feeding 10 to 15%, let's start feeding 30 to 45%, which got a lot of people's attention and, and a lot of people uh, debated that with us on, on whether that's economical. But my point is this, if I'm gonna background cattle on silage, or if I'm gonna increase it you know, to 30, 40% of the diet in, in finishing cattle, now the quality of the silage matters even more. So in, the, in kind of the old days, if you were a feed yard, if you're feeding as a rough feed source, hybrid selection and, and kernel processing and some of those issues may be frankly less important. But if you start backgrounding cattle and you're feeding it at 70, 80% of the diet uh, on a dry basis, you know, the quality of that silage matters a great deal. So our first initial work on some hybrids was looking at BMR, brown midrib. Uh, if you're familiar with the brown midrib trait, we did some work with Dow and their brown midrib corn silage, and, and it's pretty dramatic. It improves digestibility, and, um, you know, it, it improved conversions uh, when fed at 45% at of the diet. It improved conversions by as much as 5%, 6% just due to the hybrid uh, being BMR. We've more recently have looked at some hybrids that were selected for better fiber and, and grain characteristics. And we can see as much as a 10% effect due to the hybrid selection across with, within studies, you know, from kind of good to bad, so to speak. Um, so I think it's important that if you're going to start feeding more silage and especially backgrounding calves or, um, or, you know, feeding quite a bit more than normal and finishing cattle, then you really want to pay attention to those corn silage hybrids and traits. Kernel processing is the same kind of thing. I actually um, was surprised when we kind of were doing some of the silage work that there wasn't a lot more information on kernel processing because, you know, as soon as the kernel processors became available, everybody started saying, well, we're just going to have to kernel process. But I would argue a lot of those decisions were made in the absence of data. It does turn out that, that we think it improves the silage. Uh, when we kernel process silage, we saw about a 65 to 7.5% improvement in the silage, um, which is certainly economical then. You know, if you're only feeding it at 10%, that's only going to improve the, the conversions by, you know, half a percent because it's not, you're not including much silage, but the more silage we fed, the greater impact we had on conversions. And so our, our best estimates from two different studies is it improves the silage by around six and a half to 7% when fed to cattle. And that's an improvement in feed conversions. Talk a little about some of the results you've seen when you fed higher levels of corn silage. What are some of the benefits and maybe some of the challenges that go with that? Yeah, and so you know, we went down this road that if I'm a if I'm a farmer and and feeding out some cattle and I'm a private feeder, you know, which means I own the cattle too, so I kind of own the whole operation through from corn production through finishing the cattle. Um, that's where we really think the application might have the biggest impact. Where I might want to start feeding 45% silage instead of 15. So we've done quite a number of comparisons. In fact, we summarized 
a series of our studies. It was 58 pens fed two different ways. And so I can tell you with a lot of certainty that across those, those comparisons, which were well-controlled research studies done here at the University of Nebraska, we had gains go from 3.86 pounds a day to 3.66 pounds a day. So gains got worse when we went from 15 to 45% silage. And conversions went from 6.3 to 6.7 pounds of feed per pound of gain, which is about a 6.7% worse feed conversion. So increasing silage for finishing cattle above traditional roughage levels will, generally speaking, decrease gains slightly and will hurt conversions by about 6.5%. But uh, when we price the diets and look at the, at the profitability, our estimates are that it improved profitability, you know, somewhere, depending upon the price of corn, somewhere between 10 to $40 per head. Obviously, the more expensive corn gets, the more return you get by feeding more silage. But our estimate is, is that, that it's economical even at $3 corn, just not as dramatic of an impact on economics. So we, we've tried to quantify that in, in lots of our studies so that people could see the impact of, yes, I'm getting poor gain and conversion, but I'm making more money in my operation. That was really what we wanted to illustrate. Now, Aaron, with that said, I don't want to say 0% because every time I say zero, somebody says, well, I've been doing what you said. But not many people have adopted that practice because, you know, most producers don't want to give up conversions and gain, right? But what they do do is they, they grow cattle. They'll, they'll put them on a silage growing ration for 90 days, and then they'll step them up onto more corn, right, and less silage. And by the way, we've done that comparison too. And if, if you want to grow cattle on silage halfway through the finishing period and then step them down, We've shown what the impact of that is on the, on the economics as well. And that's a good program too. Now, growing cattle is probably the best application for using silage in general, but I'd, I'd have a small caveat. We've done a lot of work that shows that with silage growing programs, I don't think we've had the protein right in the diet for forever. We've overestimated the protein supplied from the silage. And, uh, and we see a huge benefit of putting some distiller's grains with corn silage in a growing diet. So my best recommendation for producers is, is it's great to grow cattle on silage. Make sure you get the right protein in. And that right protein, of course, is bypass protein, um, what we call RUP or rumen undegradable protein. Many refer to it as bypass protein. And Frankly, the most economical source of bypass protein that's available today is distiller's grains. And so, you know, if, if you're in the, in the Western Plains area and, and distillers are a little harder to come by, it's still really critical to price those. It's probably going to be dry distillers, but supplementing dry distiller's grains at 15% of the diet with your silage growing program, we think you'll really be impressed with the results of that compared to other traditional uh, proteins that you may be using besides distillers. And if you're obviously in the Midwest or, or Eastern Nebraska and you have access to wet distillers grains or modified distillers grains, you know, it's a no brainer to me that, that you really got to feed 80% silage, 15% of those wet distillers. And uh, you'll be really impressed with the performance, I believe. Well, I really appreciate you joining me today, Dr. Erickson. 
Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. Again, this conversation is a result of the 2020 Silage for Beef Cattle Conference webinar series that was held online in July and August. Those webinars have been recorded and are available for viewing at the beef.unl.ed website.